For right now, let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading. Oh, the offering. Man, come on up here, ushers. Thank you so much. I forgot. I'm so used to not taking the offering that I forgot to take it. I apologize to you for that. And thank you, ushers, for reminding me. Another thing that I want to remind you about, we were not able to have missions this past Sunday, which is when we normally have it, but we will do it this coming Sunday. Uh, We didn't do it last Sunday because of Father's Day, but we will do it this Sunday coming up. Okay, so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for the offering. Thank you, God, for our ushers that helped me to remember and help me to get back into my regular routine here. So bless this offering, bless the gift and the giver, not only those that are giving tonight, but those that are continuing to mail in their offerings, Lord, and and uh, online ministries, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you for their loyalty to the church. Bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Very good. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse number 13. Lord Jesus, bless The reading of your word here tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. And it says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the book of Galatians, uh, we were focusing on how important it is that we as Christians not do anything that would cause someone to stumble. What does it mean when I say don't cause someone to stumble? Does it really literally mean don't cause somebody to literally stumble over something or fall over something? When we, when we say that or when we mention that, don't cause someone to stumble. We don't want to do, we as Christians have to be very careful not to do anything that would cause someone to sin or to backslide or to compromise and even more seriously cause them to turn away from God. You have, you and I, the Bible says are free. We've been liberated to live our lives, to enjoy our lives, to have the abundant life in and through Christ. But we cannot allow that freedom to cause others who maybe are a little bit weaker or less understanding and cause them to sin. And we looked at Galatians chapter 5 verse 10 a couple of weeks ago and it says this, the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. In God's word, it warns us and it tells us that there's a severe penalty if you or I cause someone to sin. Especially me as a pastor, I have to be really, really careful what I do, how I act, where I go, how I talk, how I treat people. Because, you know, I'm a man and, I, and I'm vulnerable and I make mistakes. But man, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. Anyone in leadership, a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility, a lot of discipline is required, a lot of sacrifice because man you know we we're human and we have desires and we have passions and we get tempted and we have to fight all that off and we have to ask God to give us the strength that we need why because if we do something that causes someone else to sin or to stumble 
then I will have to pay a heavy price for that before the Lord. And we see that in the, in the book of Galatians, it says the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. The Galatians were doing great in their faith journey with Christ. They were celebrating their freedom and their liberty in Christ. They were walking in the fullness of joy and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, many of us remember how it was in those beginning days when we first came to Christ. And that's the way it was for the Galatians. They heard the gospel. They were excited. They were gathering miracles and supernatural signs and wonders and and the holy spirit and it was a powerful experience but then certain individuals started infiltrating the church and causing all kinds of confusion causing all kinds of false teaching and false doctrine cause the galatians to stumble or get confused and sometimes even to sin and that's why the apostle paul was writing this letter to the galatians because he was he was rebuking those that were trying to confuse the galatians and there's a severe penalty awaiting those who are guilty of leading the people of God astray by teaching things that are not biblical or of God, or if they do something that would cause a young believer to fall back into sin. That's what it means to cause someone to stumble, cause them to fall back into sin. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus warns us with these words in verse 6 and verse 7. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. In the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 12 and 13, the New Living Translation, it says this, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall first corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 be careful however that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block for to the weak second corinthians chapter 6 verse 3 we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited so now let's move on let's move forward and let's discuss the text for tonight it is somewhat a continuation of of this theme but uh, coming from a different angle and this perspective is a perspective of love love for the brethren as a priority over selfishness on our own parts let me read our text for tonight again it says in galatians chapter 5 verse 13 it says this you my brothers and sisters We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, here's the the thing. The sad part about our sinful nature which all of us have. I know that we're all Christians. We all are pursuing Jesus. We all read the Bible. We all have the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to you and I who are Christians. But the sad reality is that we all still have a sinful nature. Even as Christians, we have a natural tendency to be selfish, to be self-centered. We think about ourselves or what is important to us. 
What I want is the priority. I, our priority is me, me, and me. It's the other trinity. Me, myself, and I. We consider our needs before the needs of others. And it's something that we as Christians continually have to wrestle with. And here the Holy Spirit is instructing us to be very careful not to allow our own agendas, our own desires, our own priorities, our own behavior to cause us to disrespect or to be inconsiderate or to be insensitive to those that are around us. From the very beginning of our journey with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work changing our way of thinking, changing our perspective. He wants us to go from self-centered to Christ-centered. Did everyone hear what I just said? God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is striving and wrestling with us every day. Jerry, you got to go from self-centered to Christ-centered. And when we think selfishly instead of selflessly, this will cause us to be insensitive to others, and this will grieve the Spirit of God and break the law of love. Because now we're looking just at ourselves and not at those or at those situations that are around us. What is the law of love? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And when we choose not to love, we end up fighting, biting, devouring, murdering each other, and it causes all kinds of problems. What does James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says? It says this. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, what is causing, this is a New Living Translation. I like the way it reads in the New Living Translation. It says this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So the ultimate example of this destructive, selfish trait in our human nature is found right in the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to reach out Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and it says this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever been very angry? I'm going to be the first one to raise up my hand because, man, anger can really mess you up. Would you all, all agree with me? Can you say amen? But we have to ask God to help us to help us to get that anger or whatever emotion it may be under control. Because if not, it's going to get us all messed up. So here's what happened. Uh, but, uh, verse 5, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to have victory over sin, rule over it, rule over those passions, over those desires, over all those crazy things that enter our minds and our hearts, and, and we need to trust the Lord. How many of you can just say amen to that? Because if we don't, we're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that we regret. That's why people are in prison. That's why people are handicapped. That's why people are in mental institutions. That's why people are divorced. That's why families are all messed up, because we're not Christ-centered, we're self-centered. We're allowing our emotions to rule us instead of the Holy Spirit to rule us. God is giving Cain here an opportunity to rule his spirit with the power of God. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? See, that's the ultimate act of selfishness. Am I my brother? In other words, I don't care. I don't care. God wants us to care, not only about ourselves, but about others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 21 says this, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is striving to retrain us or to change our way of thinking so that we are not self-consumed, but instead we are always conscious, conscious of not only of the Lord, but of those around us. God desires that we begin to look outside of ourselves and look to the needs and interests of others. This is one of the main themes of Jesus preaching when he was here on earth. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, listen to what it says here. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked, she said. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten, the other ten disciples or apostles, heard about this, they were indignant. They got upset with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Here's a lesson, verse 26. Not so with you. Don't go after that power. Don't go after that position. Don't go after that recognition. Don't go after this stuff. Go after Jesus. Keep your minds on Jesus. And it says here, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How many of you appreciate what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross? He was selfless, and he gave himself on the cross for us. And now he's challenging us to have the same attitude or the same kind of response. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. On that note, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish 
ambition, or vain conceit. Those words sound really nice. Those words sound very spiritual. Those words sound very good. But to actually put those words into practice, that means you're not number one. I'm not number one. God is number one. And his people are number one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Again, these are strong words. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then Jesus gives us a parable or a story to give us an example of how we as people of God can be selfish and cold and or how we as people of God can choose to show love toward our neighbor. It gives us an example of both. Look in the book of Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Many of you are familiar with this, but in Luke 10, 25, it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of love. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, when we, when we look at the history even of the United States of America, most of our hospitals were started by Christian organizations. Most of our universities were started by Christian organizations. Most of our institutions to help the poor and the needy and the hungry were started by Christian institutions. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Now, sadly, sadly, a lot of them become secular and they get worldly and they lose that foundation. But they began with the intention of helping or being good or loving your neighbor. First Corinthians 10, 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, I'm going to give you an example. I see some of our basketball players here. Okay. Um, every Wednesday night, in case you don't know, uh, the guys 
get together, and we usually play basketball after church. So on Wednesday night, any of you guys that want to join us, you're more than welcome. And it gets pretty competitive. It's a lot of fun, and um, everyone really enjoys it. But once in a while, I purposely kind of put the guys to the test. So what happens is sometimes uh, we never know who's going to show up. Sometimes we have a few guys, and sometimes we have a lot of guys. But once in a while, we have 10 guys that show up. And those of you that play basketball, you know that there's five on one team and five on another. And so what I will do, now usually when I see it's five on five, I'll say, you know what, I'll just step out. I won't play today. That way they can play the whole time and everything's cool. But once in a while, I will purposely call next game. Okay? And that means that when the two teams that are on the court, when they finish their game, one of those teams is going to lose. And I get to pick four players out of the losing team to play with me the next game. Are you guys following me so far? Okay. So what I do is I say, is there anyone that would like to volunteer to sit out this game? And you know what? The response is 95% of the time, no one says anything. Because they all want to play the next game. Even if it means playing with Pastor Jerry, who doesn't play very well, but they want to play that no one volunteers and says, I'll be a good Christian man and volunteer to sit down this game and the other four guys can play the game. But does that happen? No. Because we are self centered. We want our own agenda and we want to do what we want to do. And now all the guys are like hiding under the, the seats and they're embarrassed. And next time I ask, oh, they're, oh, I'll volunteer. I'll volunteer Pastor Jerry to sit down. But it's okay. It's understandable. It's just the way life is. It's something that we all have to work on. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Because we're always focused on ourselves. And Jesus says, get your eyes off of yourself and realize I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I got your back. But around you, there's people that are all messed up. And if someone needs help, I want you to make yourself available to them. But you got to have your eyes open. Are you guys following what I'm saying? We have an example of someone who learned this very important lesson the hard way. And I'm going to have to end right here, but let's go ahead and take some time because I'm running out of time and the guys want to go out and play basketball right now. Okay. Listen to what it says here in Genesis chapter 37, starting at verse 23. Many of you are familiar with the story of Jacob and his 12 sons. And uh, one of those boys that he had, his name was Joseph. And 10 of the brothers were stepbrothers and they were all very jealous of Joseph. Okay, and this is what happens in verse 23 of Genesis chapter 37. So when Joseph came to his brothers, now remember, Joseph is the favorite of Jacob and the other 10 brothers are jealous of him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah. Everyone say Judah. Okay, this was one of the ten brothers that hated Joseph. His name is Judah. Okay, verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Remember what I said about leading people astray? Doing things that are not right and causing others to do not right? Okay, verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, time passes, years pass. Joseph now is in power in Egypt. He is number two man next to Pharaoh of Egypt. He has all kinds of power and all kinds of wealth. And the ten brothers, because they're starving to death, go and they literally bow down before their brother Joseph. They don't know that it's Joseph, but they bow down before him and they're begging for food and they're begging for help. Okay? And Joseph intentionally, just like Pastor Jerry intentionally kind of checks out the guys to see where they're at. Okay? Joseph intentionally test his brothers to see if they've matured or not, if they've changed or not. And he was going to take Benjamin, Joseph's natural brother, captive and make him a slave. And listen what happens in Genesis chapter 44, verse 18. Then Judah, who was the one that wanted to sell Joseph? Judah. And now listen to what Judah does. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. He doesn't know that he's talking to his own brother. Okay. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father. We told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little bit more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us, will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me, too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. This is Judah speaking to what he believes is Pharaoh's number two man. So now if the boy is not with us, when, we, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant, your servant Judah, 
guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. In other words, Judah learned, you know what? I'm going to put my life on the line for someone else. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. Judah learned a very painful lesson. He went from being selfish to selfless to the point where he said, Pharaoh, he was actually talking to his, uh, Pharaoh's number two man, which was Joseph, his brother, but he didn't know it. Take my life instead of Benjamin's life because I don't want to see my, brother, my father end up dead because of uh, Benjamin not coming home. He had a change of heart. That's what God wants for all of us to have. A change of heart, a change of attitude, change of thinking, change of mentality. He wants to be people that are focused on Christ and not on ourselves. Can you say amen, church? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, there's so many other examples that I had, but Lord, we ran out of time. And we want to pray right now, God, that you will help us, Lord. Help us not to be self-centered, but to be Christ-centered. Always Christ-centered. It's a daily battle, Lord. Even for myself, it's a daily battle because I get hurt, I get upset, I get frustrated, I get discouraged, and, and all kinds of things happen, Lord God, and our emotions go run up and down and all over the place. And we have to cry out to you and ask you, Lord Jesus, help me to see you in this situation. Help me to see you in this person. Help me, Lord God, to conduct myself like Christ would conduct himself. If you're here tonight and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus and I want to surrender my life to the Lord right now. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. If that's you here tonight, lift up your hand. Those of you watching online, if you're ready to surrender your heart to the Lord right now, he's ready to receive you. All you have to do is repent. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance right now. Repeat these words. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you and I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I've messed up. But Jesus, I realize that you came and you went to the cross willingly for me. You died for me. You rose again for me. And you promised me salvation and forgiveness, and eternal life. And tonight, I receive that free gift of salvation that you offer to all the world. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you, church. Those of you that need prayer, you feel free to come on up to the altar. We will take time to pray with you and uh, minister to whatever it is that's going on in your life. God bless you guys.